In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Today, the Church commemorates the sanctity and martyrdom of the child Maria Goretti. Maria Goretti died a brutal death, a violent death, through the hands of an 18-year-old young man who tried to seduce her while she was just 11 years of age. And she put up a heroic resistance. And in the assailant's demonic frustration, stabbed her 14 times out of hatred for her resistance in frustrating his lustful cravings. I recall a few years back running into someone in the airport when I was returning to the States from Rome and I was making small talk with this friendly woman and she wanted to know what I was doing in Rome and I was heading a program for seminarians called the Rome Experience and one of the excursions of this time together with the seminarians consisted in going to Natuno, also a site of a severe World War II battle, to pay respects to the mortal remains of St. Maria Goretti. So I, in the course of the conversation, I mentioned that to this woman, and she wanted to know why the seminarians chose that town and that saint, I explained, because she died preserving her chastity. And truth be told, with goodwill, but perhaps misbegotten goodwill, the woman felt that the resistance and the struggle to avoid being violated under those conditions, under those circumstances, was at best imprudent and at worst dead wrong. And perhaps that reaction 
is understandable, though unjustified, since at present moment we live in a pandemic of hedonism, where a major portion of the population is brainwashed into thinking that fulfillment and some semblance of happiness must include the gratification of the senses. This beautiful saint who died relatively recently, at least in the perspective of an over 2,000-year history of the church. She died at the turn of the 20th century. Her witness speaks loud and clear of the beauty and value of chastity. St. Jose Maria calls it holy purity. And St. Jose Maria teaches that he loves to refer to chastity, to purity, as holy purity because it is meant to be a joyful affirmation. It leads to joy. It liberates one to exercise the total gift of self. It liberates the individual to give himself or herself to God and to recognize the divine image in every person. And for the great majority who are called to marriage, chastity produces a liberation so that the spouses can give themselves to each other in a total, sacrificial, permanent, and faithful way. It may be difficult to explain the whole dynamics of the connection between impurity and a lack of interest in spiritual life. St. Paul teaches us in Romans 8 that the life of the spirit and the cardinal life are totally incompatible. And the life of the Spirit brings about joy and life. And the life of the flesh, or the gratification of the flesh, brings about emptiness, sadness, and death. Death to the spiritual life and death to true love. Let's go back to our saint. She certainly fell in line with St. Josemaria's vision that holy purity is a joyful affirmation. Like uh, many uh, farmers of that period of time, the end of the 19th century, at the turn of the 20th century, they experienced a grinding poverty, trying to make ends meet and barely living at subsistent level. Maria, even at that young age, one could say was a contemplative. She dialogued 
habitually with Jesus and his mother in a simple way, but a profound way at the same time. She loved the Lord in the Eucharist. She loved the Blessed Virgin Mary and was a model daughter in spirit of service. Her enduring characteristic was a perennial joy, cheerfulness. In short, she was fun to be with. She was the joy of her family and the joy of her neighbors. Love of Christ brings out the very best, and the very best was coming out of Maria in spite of such harsh living conditions. She was a joy for her mother, the right-hand woman of her mom. In the same house, there was, or the same, yeah, the same house, there was another family, and one of the members was an teenage young man, about 18 years of age. And he had designs to violate Maria. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this meditation, she put up a heroic resistance and died, I think, a couple of days after being stabbed 14 times. And on a, a, a number of times, she forgave her assailant and she prayed for his repentance and conversion. After almost 30 years in prison, her assailant did convert. And when he was released from prison, he begged the mother of Maria for forgiveness and he was able to attend the canonization of Maria in 1950. We ask you, Lord, through the intercession of St. Maria Goretti, how do you want us to look at purity in an age where it's not in fashion, at least it appears not to be? But as always, the vision of the gospel clashes with the culture and is always a sign of contradiction. It's nothing new, but it's especially poignant today in a hookup culture, in an age where you could hardly watch a movie that does not transmit the message that a relationship between two people, man and a woman, must inevitably end up in gratifying their respective lusts. Let's look at this virtue as Maria did, perhaps could not elaborate theologically, but nevertheless saw it this way. One of Jesus' first teachings in his Sermon on the Mount, he reveals the eight Beatitudes, 
Beatitude in the original Greek means blissful happiness. And it's kind of counterintuitive because these Beatitudes consist in controlling the heart, forming the heart, so that it's square with the very heart of Jesus. The Beatitudes speak about detachment from a sense of excellence, poverty in spirit, detachment from material possession, control of anger so we become meek like Christ, control of our thoughtlessness or short-sightedness so that our heart become merciful. Then he speaks about purity in terms of the capacity to see God. That's Jesus' very first teaching on purity, that purity of heart, controlling the sexual passions and drives, allow the person to see God. That involves some unpacking. I'm morally certain that the Lord does not mean that if we are chaste enough, the bonus prize is that we have a vision. We have the vision of the Lord or even a vision of Our Lady who brings us to our Lord. I know that the Lord doesn't mean that we will experience a preternatural vision. But he does mean that through our faith, through our heart, we will see God in a vertical way and a horizontal way. That we will see the Lord through our prayer. We will be much more desirous to speak with Christ, to speak with God, to speak with the Mother of God. We will have a taste for spiritual life. Why? Because through the eyes of faith, albeit shadows, we will see God. I do it respectfully. When people come and they want a change of heart, or when they tell me that they're not interested in organized religions, or they have no taste for the Mass, or even taste for prayer, that they just feel they're good people because they don't hurt anybody. They say they'd like to believe, but to be honest, they can't. And usually, most of the time, it is not an intellectual issue that someone has no inclination to pray or gets nothing out of the Mass or is satisfied with not irritating people or bothering people. Usually the issue is a question of chastity, a lack of chastity, 
because the lustful passions kind of smudge the the window of the soul. The light of Christ is always there. The window of the soul is there. But that ray of light is meant to penetrate that window as long as that window is clear. But many times there's smudges, and at times severe smudges, so much so, the light is there, the wind of the soul is there, but the inordinate passions that are out of control do not allow that light to enter in. That's the vertical vision of God, that taste to pray. And there's that horizontal dimension where we see Christ in others. That we see every person never as an object of use. That's what impurity does. But we see each person as an end in himself or herself, an object of self-giving love. To paraphrase briefly, St. John Paul's theology of the body. The experience of God, the experience of Christ, consists in many instances in a total self-giving. That total self-giving is expressed in prayer, is expressed in spirit of sacrifice, accepting one's crosses. That total gift of self consists in serving the needs of others, showing mercy to others, being all things to all people, identifying with the joys and sufferings of others, and lavishing those around us with affection and joy. It sounds good on paper, but holy people actually manage to do that. But it presupposes that beautiful virtue that will not exactly win a popularity contest today, that virtue of purity. And that purity led St. Maria Goretti not only led her to lead a joyful contemplative life as a little farm girl, but won her that greatest of gifts and graces of martyrdom. She's virgin and martyr and paid a high price for that. Lord, help us understand. Well, St. John Paul teaches in his discourses on the theology of the body that one's sexuality is not only a a beautiful gift, a sacred gift. It's connected with new human life, and it is connected with a sacrament that reflects Christ's love for his church. Chastity allows one to 
express their sexuality so that it mirror the sentiments of Christ on the cross. Marital union could be almost considered, take it with a grain of salt, I say this metaphorically, an eighth sacrament. St. Josemaria said that the marriage bed for him was an altar. So I'm in good company to say that marital union could be analogous to the Mass in the sense that what is the Mass, but it is the representation of Christ's total self-gift on the cross. Marital union is designed to express the total gift of self between the spouses, open, if God wants it that way, to a personification of that love called the human person. And so the gospel, unpacked by John Paul, says that one of the purposes of chastity is connected to both celibacy and marriage that the sexual drives and passions are controlled so that an individual gives himself or herself totally to god directly and so the there will not be sexual expression so that that person gives himself or herself to Christ totally without the intermediary of a spouse or children. That's not for everybody, but it is a a gift, a lofty gift. The purpose of chastity is to control those drives and appetites so that when the time comes and those two people are called to matrimony, that their sexual expression signifies their total gift to each other. How does one view chastity in this day and age where it is so easy to slip, it is so easy to be misguided, it is so easy to be affected by the popular culture? One could hardly listen to a song or browse through a magazine or watch a movie without being subject to temptation. Fashions today, without ill will, do not lend themselves to cultivating a sense of chastity, but rather invite lustful desires and passions whereby the dignity of the person is compromised. Every person's uh, image of God, but dress wear is symbolic. If that dress wear does not enhance and reaffirm the dignity of the person, doesn't mean people have to dress as they did in the Victorian age, then that dress wear can also be an occasion of a 
violation of one's dignity because now that person, uh, because of the immodesty, can become an object of lust. Jesus tells us, having the 21st century in mind, but also having his own period of time in mind, ancient Rome, that was similar to our culture, violent and hedonistic in a big way, Jesus uses Mideastern hyperbole and says that if we are tempted, we should pluck out our eye, cut off our hand, cut off our foot. What's that all about? If we take them literally, there'll be a lot of maimed and crippled people in our population. He means that you need to aggressively avoid the near occasion of sin. So many good people, we all need formation and training in this because it's so countercultural. They wring their hands and sometimes lament. Well, I went too far and I am not happy with myself, nor is my partner. And I invite the person because they're, you know, these people have a lot of goodwill and they want to embrace the virtue of chastity, but they're trying to figure out in the practice, how do you do that? And I will gently ask the question, well, all right, well, how late did you stay out? Uh, were you together in quarters where there was no one else? Did you take too many liberties in expressions of affection? And many times the immediate reaction is, well, this is, this is expected in any relationship. And I said, well, these relationships have to conform to the gospel. And the gospel is not over, overly burdensome. I'm not going to tell people specifically what to do, but not to be afraid to take those strong measures to keep a relationship chaste, to keep oneself chaste. Chastity is not about repression or suppression of one's sexuality, but it is about using it at the service of love and not suppressing, but controlling, controlling it so that we always are capable of praying, of living a spiritual life, an interior life, so that the carnal life not impede it or get in the way, so that we know how to see another person as an object of love, that we don't let lustful desires and passions eclipse a friendship. This is especially important when two people are courting, albeit it, it involves a struggle not to express oneself physically, but it is of paramount importance that both control their passions and appetites 
so that they love each other as best friends, so that they see person, especially in their courtship, and they prove to each other their love for each other goes way beyond the physical. Eventually they'll include it in marriage, but their love goes beyond it. And the physical expression of marital love is meant to be the fruit of a lasting, intense, exclusive friendship. What resolutions can we make? Well, to use the supernatural means to make good confessions and to accept the guidance of the priest in living this virtue. A devotion advised by St. Maria, three Hail Marys every evening for purity. Guarding the senses, guarding the sight, so that we don't look at someone impurely or lustfully, but we always look at the, the, the other people as daughters or sons of God. And that we ask for it with humility. And that we really desire it because it releases our capacity to love God and to love others. We pray to the Blessed Mother, Mother Most Pure. She's the paradigm of purity. Though she's not a wilting lily, as we see her in visiting her Elizabeth, her cousin Elizabeth, we see her at the wedding party in Cana, we see her at the foot of the cross. We see how, in Mary's case, chastity, purity, is intimately linked with her joyful, self-giving love. Mother most pure, mother most chaste, pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for